Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love no love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. As you remember back in chapter 12 Paul told his recipients of his letter here to love one another, let your love be genuine, verses 9 and 10. And there he's emphasizing uh love between members of the Christian community. He brings it up again in this section, uh, which is he's not simply repeating himself. In some ways he is, but here it goes beyond loving other Christians. He's addressing now our love to others outside the church, outside the Christian community. So that's going to be what we're going to emphasize that love is to be extended to our neighbor. So let's think our way through these three verses with three points. And I want you to note verse 8 in particular here as we begin that the Christian owes love to every person. Very simple. Now he begins by saying, owe no one anything. And he had just said previously in verse 7, pay to all what is owed. So he's on this idea of paying what you owe, and here he says, he puts it, owe no one anything. So the point is that the Christian is to have a reputation. By by saying this, he's not saying you can't borrow money to buy a car or take a house, a mortgage out on a house. Some have thought Paul would be against that. that. That's not what he's talking about, to not have any debt at all. When he says, oh, no man anything, he's talking about be faithful in paying what you owe. If you enter into a contract with someone and you agree to make payments, in other words, a Christian should not declare bankruptcy, for example. He should make his payments on time, not be delinquent in paying what he owes, This is how I believe it should be viewed. So in other words, the bottom line, have a good credit reputation, whatever that is. (laughs) Be known as a person who pays what they owe. Owe no one anything. In other words, don't let your debt go beyond what you agreed to pay. Owe no one anything, and then he says, except to love each other. So... This is a debt that we owe to everyone that can never be paid. 
off. So this is the responsibility of the Christian to be a person who owes love to one another and to all men without exception. Love is a debt that we can't really pay off because you never totally discharge it. We're never going to say, well, okay, I love that person, now I can go on to someone else, perhaps. I've paid that debt off. No, it's a debt that we're always owing, always paying. It's like a credit card balance that never gets down to zero. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, another is, you can say, uh, the word here means another or other. The NIV, I think, translates it, your, your fellow, your fellow man. So, loving one another, he's covered that. Now it's loving others outside the Christian community. Loving other people. Loving the non-Christian. Loving your fellow man. You know, Paul taught that elsewhere. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord make you abound in love to one another and to all. You see how he extends it. Christian love beyond the boundaries of our own community of people. Over in the fifth chapter, he says, always seeking to do good to one another and to everyone. So this is the emphasis. And and when we do that, we're fulfilling the law, he says. We have fulfilled the law. What does he mean by that? Well, you've answered its requirements in a a sense. Remember back in chapter 8? Your beginning verses of chapter 8, after saying we, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, and he talks about what Jesus Christ did, that he came in sinful flesh, and on account of sin, he, sin was condemned in his flesh. Why? That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he's repeating it here, the idea of fulfilling the law as a believer. James tells us that if you, any sin, I take it by how he states this, actually ends up breaking the entire law code. On the other hand, the fulfillment of this one precept of love fulfills the whole law. So you have it in reverse. Sin breaks the whole law, love fulfills the law. Now, how does, how is love the fulfillment of the law? And I think that's expressed for us in verse 9. Notice what he says. Now, he delineates it. And the commandments that he mentions here are, if you think of the Ten Commandments as the first, this this is how it's usually thought of. I don't think it necessarily came from the hand of God with four commandments on one stone tablet and the other six on the second. But if you think of it like that, the first four had to do with man's duty to God. Now Paul is on the second tablet of the law, and he's only dealing with the man's duty to man. And he picks four of the six to mention. Adultery, murder, stealing, and coveting. 
those in particular. And then he adds, and if there is any other commandment, he knows that he didn't include them all, all the precepts of the Old Testament that have to do with man's duty to man. So he, he adds that. Any other. All of it is summed up in this one word. And now he cites Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That this is the fulfillment of the law. So summing it up in this word or in this verse, loving your neighbor. In other words, Paul is telling us that the whole of the duty of man and how it's delineated and broken down in all the different commandments. The, the bottom line of it is, if you boil it down to the, the single thing that would represent the entire spectrum of all those commandments, this is what it comes down to. Love your neighbor. So you love your neighbor, you're not going to take the spouse and wreck the family and the marriage. Love would never do anything like that. Love is not going to take the life of another person. Love is not going to take someone else's possession and claim it's theirs. You see in our culture how all these are being broken in a big way now, publicly. And then he adds coveting. We don't usually think of coveting. I mean, coveting is a secret sin, isn't it? I don't covet with my hands. Coveting is here, it's in the inside of man. This is something we do it through our eyes. But it has to do with wanting what the other person has. And even in the original law, admit you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his donkey. You know, it goes through his possessions. Having a donkey back then was like having a Cadillac. You, that was a, a prized possession. So all those things, not to wish that those belong to me and want to take them, because that's where the sin of stealing begins, is wanting something that belongs to somebody else. That's where adultery begins, and wanting someone else's spouse, and so on. So this this quotation of the Apostle Paul from Leviticus 19.18, I want to read it to you as it appears back there. This is, this is the whole verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Now note that phrase. The way it is stated in the original, it's referring, it's, it's restricted to the Israelites' relationship to another Israelite. So when he goes on and, and adds to it, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that also has a restriction on it. Meaning your neighbor in this context means the son or the children of your fellow Israelite. So it had a limited meaning, and that's how the Jewish people interpreted it. But remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did with neighbor. When he was asked by that man, who is my neighbor? Jesus broke the, the law down and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? 
because that was a question. And the Lord, he gave the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan as an illustration of who your neighbor is. And when you read it, what it's telling us, it's anyone that we encounter that's in need. Because this was a Samaritan that took care of a Jewish person in the parable, which was a radical thing to do. It went against the culture and all the, the racism that existed between them. So the neighbor is anyone that we encounter who's in need. Literally, neighbor means, the original word means the one who is near. So my neighbor is the person next door. That's how it comes has come into meaning. Yeah, I, yeah my neighbor is so-and-so. It's the person next door to me or lives very near me. He's my neighbor. So it's the one who's near, one who is in close proximity to you, the person that we're going to have contact with, who may need us, may need our help, who may need intervention. Let me ask a question that is really hits home here with us in the, the current culture and everything that's going on. If you think of it like that, let me ask this question. Is an unborn baby a neighbor? Regardless of where they are in their development, are they a neighbor? Yes, of course they are. And especially to who? To, to the mom. And then I read in Proverbs 3.29, Do not plan harm against your neighbor. The one who lives trustingly near you. Note that this is not a command to love ourselves. Now, some years ago, this isn't recent, but a thing was started that was very much in vogue, and people were talking about, oh, you got to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. And so there was an emphasis on you have to love yourself, as though that was the command. But notice, that's, God isn't commanding us to love ourselves. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, this precept takes it for granted. Takes it for granted and assumes that we love ourselves. Which is a fact. We do. Luther said, man loves himself above everything else. When Paul describes the perilous times that are going to come in the last days, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 2, and he describes the conditions that will exist in the world and how people are, the very first thing he says about the perilous times, men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then he says the next thing, and lovers of money, number two. So he was thinking maybe in a, sequential, progressive way here about what was at the top of the list. In other words, what the, the commandment is saying is that we're to extend love to our neighbor and treat our neighbor in the same way that we treat ourselves and that we want to be treated. And then others have said 
that we have to love ourselves in order first to love our neighbor. In other words, we can't carry out this commandment unless we do love ourselves. But remember the context in which Jesus broke down those two and he said, love God first with your whole being and then love your neighbors yourself. This is the second commandment. And I think the truth of the matter is, is that we have to love God first. I would put the emphasis there. That we must be lovers of God before we can even love our neighbor. Because if we're loving God, we're in a right relationship with Him. And we're thinking clearly and biblically about what God says about other people, about who we are, about mankind. That we are... Creatures of God, this person, who I may not like necessarily, i got to remember, he's made by God. He's God's creature. He carries the image of God. And he may even be God's child, which even adds to it even more why I should love him. But just on the basis alone that everyone has been made by God, they are his creation, image bearers of God, that is reason enough why we should love them as, as we love ourselves, to love our neighbor. And so I would argue that loving God is really the foundation upon which this commandment stands, loving others. And then finally, verse 10, notice, love does no wrong to one's neighbor. Uh, very simple things that Paul is saying, but boy, it's driving home the point. Think about it. So love does no wrong to a neighbor. Those commandments, you're not going to break any of those commandments when you love, obviously. You know, the, the law is looked at as both in a positive light and a negative light. When it's expounded in different catechisms and things, they always say, what does this commandment forbid? Well, all the commandments are stated in the negative, most of them. You shall not. But there's a flip side to them, too. They are enjoining certain duties when they say that. Rather than stealing, you shall not steal your neighbor's possessions. The, the, the opposite of that would be you need to protect another person's property. There's a positive and a negative in these commands. So therefore, Paul says, a conclusion, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul's made an argument here for, he really wants us to understand the importance of this command as being a fulfillment of the law. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, the fulfilling of the law. That Really, you could read this, the complete fulfillment of the law. In other words, the one who loves like this embodies the very essence of what the law requires. So when we think about it, you know, there's always this discussion it's been going on for centuries about the relationship of the law and the gospel. <laughs> it continues today. 
the law and the gospel? Is the gospel opposed to the law? Well, when we read a passage like this in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, it's a reminder to us that the gospel is not against the law. Paul cites it. Now, him citing it does not mean he's trying to reinstate the law of Moses and impose it on Christians again. Because he's argued against that in this very epistle, and especially in Galatians, where he tells us that we've been freed from the law in Christ. But when he's underscoring the principles of Christian conduct, he cites these moral principles from the law as an example, as a summation of what we should do, how we should act as Christians. We need to remember that. Paul has many exhortations in his letters, many commands, many urgings, many callings to us. Now, as a reminder again, as Paul says, I'm not without law. He says, I'm not under the law when he's speaking to Gentiles. Yet I'm not under, yet I'm not without law to God. 1 Corinthians 9. But I am under the law of Christ. And so this is a good way to think of it. What is my relationship to the law? Well, our relationship is to the law of Christ. But it's no different than the Ten Commandments. Except one thing, and that has to do with the Sabbath. And when we come to chapter 14, we're going to see how Paul deals with the subject of the observance of days. But all the commandments of Moses are essentially repeated in the new, reinforced by Paul. So the law of Christ, this is why we look at the Ten Commandments, nine of the ten, as an eternal transcript of God's character. Remember what Paul said about this law. The commandment is holy, just, and righteous. A good. So we have been delivered from the bondage of that law. We now are under Christ's law, which James describes as the perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. The royal law, he calls it. That's the the law for the New Testament Christian. When Jesus talks about it, he talks about it in terms of coming under my yoke. Come to me, all you who are laboring and are burdened down. Come to me for rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. We know what a yoke is. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But the whole idea of taking Christ's yoke means that we come under his service. We come to serve him as Lord, to obey him. But being his yoke makes it beautiful. It's not a burdensome thing. It's it's pure joy to be under Christ's yoke. But Paul puts it like this in Galatians 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free... From what? He says, stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is speaking about the law of Moses. We're not under that law. 
So the the whole idea of uh, taking the the view that the New Testament Christianity is against the law, anti-law. This is this is an error in thinking, and we we do not hold that. We believe that there is plenty of laws for us to t- think of what Jesus said. This is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Some have called that the 11th commandment. He is the great lawgiver of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this is a short sermon. I'm at the end. Now, Paul has laid this out for us clearly about love. I know we probably all feel like, boy, I'm really bad at this. I don't love people the way I should. I know I do. And uh, it's a a reminder to us, again, from the Word of God, of what our duty is to not only one another, but to everyone we come in contact with that needs us. And we we can help them. So... Think of the Lord Jesus Christ now, as we come to the Lord's table, that he, he fulfilled that perfectly. No one loved his neighbor like Jesus Christ did. He was the embodiment of love. He's the great role model and pattern for us in loving one another and loving others. And the ultimate way in which he showed that love was precisely in his death for us in our place when he bore our sins on the cross. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.